Welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows, one of the uh, somewhere in the range of about 700 and. 30 shows uh, that we've put up on air, online, over the course of the last five-plus years here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. If you're listening to us, and you obviously are, uh, it's because you've picked us up as either a radio loop or as a, uh, as a podcast. Either of those links, the links to uh, listening to us as a radio loop or a podcast, are available on the homepage of our Central Left Radio website. I just mentioned the name, I'll say it again, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Choose one link or the other. Hear us on a radio loop as though you had turned the dial and flicked on any other radio program uh, from your car radio, from a home radio, if you, if, you, if you happen to listen that way. You pick up the show at whatever point it happens to be in the loop and you listen it's it's sort of a it's sort of an old school way of listening to radio and uh, one that still has a great deal of appeal for a lot of people the other way uh, the the more uh, I, I don't even want to call it modern way but the way that most people seem to be going about their listening simply because it it has choice and 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 possibility and option and control slathered on it is via podcasts. You pick up the show through the link and you pick up the show from the beginning. You can get it from our website or you can pick up our podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Just look for Center Left Radio. Ah so much going on. <clears throat> Obviously, the, the issues uh, surrounding Ukraine and, and Russia are what make the, uh, the news headlines continually. But not, not buried beneath all of this, running parallel with it, and, and really in many ways um, a part of this whole story um, when you when you really get up to about you know fifty thousand feet and look down, um, is the is everything to do with Donald Trump, and everything that America and the American justice system has to do with Donald Trump. I I bring this up particularly, not just because I tend to bring it up fairly often. Uh, but there was an article in The Atlantic by Ann Applebaum, who has definitely become one of my favorite authors these days, one of my favorite writers. She's, she's listed as a staff writer uh, for The Atlantic. And uh, it, it just doesn't, just those words don't seem to do justice to what a great investigative and, th and thoughtful writer she is. In any event, um, she wrote 
a uh, she wrote a piece in the Atlantic the other day entitled "There Is No Liberal World Order." I think I think that was the name of the piece, which is a rather a rather direct statement. It, it not not crafty, not cute, not um, not catchy. Just there is no liberal world order any longer. And, and, and by that, uh, and, I, and I've, heard her, I've heard her appear on several different uh, talk shows to expra- explain what she had in mind. And, if, and what she was primarily talking about was what has just happened with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. We have been living under an assumption she suggests, and I, and I tend to agree with her on, on just about every point that she's making here. Um, we've been living in a world order that presumes, since the end of the Second World War, that nations will not just go ahead and attack other nations, or at least Western nations don't do that. We've seen plenty of it in the Middle East. We've seen plenty of it uh, uh, going on uh, in, in various far, various forms uh, around the area of the, the edges of the Soviet Union. We've watched African states do bizarre things one to the other. But the liberal world order, and I think it would be better to, to limit this at least to the Western liberal world order. I suppose that's the only place the word liberal, with a small L, would be applicable, is basically or has basically been a place where one nation does not simply cross its borders and attack another. Now, I, you know, you have to you have to temper this with recollections of Hungary in 1956, Russian tanks there. Uh, Czech, what was then Czechoslovakia in 1968. Russia has done some. Well, the Soviet Union at that time has pulled some pretty awful stuff within the borders of what one would call, I guess that would have been Eastern Europe where that was happening. So when Anne Applebaum talks about the liberal West, at least the liberal Western world order, even that, I think, falls subject to some uh, historical, I wouldn't call them anomalies, but there's some question as to just how perpetually or consistently liberal the Western world order has been since the Second World War, given the behavior of the Soviet Union. But, okay, take the Soviet Union out of the equation, at least, and it's understood, and we've basically come to accept, that the notion of attacking another European country is just something you don't do. Uh, you could argue, I guess, the Soviet Union did this uh, with the installation of puppet regimes. There was not great uh, fighting. There wasn't an attack of the other nations, Hungary and Czechoslovakia, uh, in these particular instances. So uh, maybe that's where Anne was coming from, or at least I don't think the article really went into that, that at least not those areas. But... We just don't expect what Russia did the other day, and we don't we don't recognize it. And I think, and, and her point was, we have we've been operating under an assumption 
that this just doesn't happen anymore. And here, the Russian Federation, or Russia, whatever you want to call it, essentially Vladimir Putin, if our understanding of the, of the power structure there is correct, goes ahead and decides uh, that he is going to fulfill his fantasies uh, and, and what he has basically promoted or, or sold to the Russian people as a collective fantasy about a greater Russia, uh, which begins with the annexation of Ukraine because, after all, they're Russians just like us, basically, and should be part of us, and God knows where it would go from there. And it was a, it was a poorly planned, poorly executed thing, which is down to this ugly smash and bash and hurt and just keep causing pain and no chance of ever installing, it would appear, no chance of installing a puppet government at this stage in the game and just a lot of human suffering, a lot of embarrassment, but no near-term signs of this thing ending. And Anne would tell us that this is apparently the end of any fantasies about a liberal Western world order that we had, that this kind of thing just couldn't happen. And, and we have to begin, her point, re-examining our own position. Every country must begin rethinking its position vis-a-vis -vis other countries in a world where the possibility of attack has once again been elevated, and it's casual, it's done, it done matter-of-factly, it's done under the glare of news cameras, at least, uh, or at least spy cameras. Uh, we're seeing the results day by day. It's televised, it's all out there. It's covered in all sorts of different ways. There are different opinions, uh, there uh, it is incorporated into, I, I, I dare say, and unfortunately say, into our entertainment, our info entertainment structure as well. But it's real. And people are suffering, and more than 4 million people have already crossed the border out of Ukraine, and the displacement internally is that much worse. And, and what's happened in towns like Mariupol and, and others where there has been virtual uh, wiping out of much of, this, of, the, of the structure of these towns, and what will Putin do next, and all of that stuff. The liberal world order presumptions have basically gone by the wayside. Now, Anne, Anne doesn't go into this, but I would extend, and I said this earlier, I, I would extend this loss of liberal world order to some equivalent verbalization that uh, takes in the nature of the United States. Whatever our liberal world order view of ourselves was, has basically been shattered by a guy who went in and decided that unless you could stop me, I'm going to do whatever I want for my own benefit. And that anything to do with the United States as a country and my responsibility to it as president of that country is absolutely secondary. And in fact, possibly not even on the screen. 
only insofar, its only value, of course, would be to get people to like me and to basically keep me in power. So I'll use whatever patriotic or America-pushing uh, or America-firsting or MAGA-ing uh, that I have to do in order to keep people supporting me. But fundamentally, I'm in this for myself. Why? Because I can. I'm doing it. I'm doing it on TV. I'm doing it without anybody stopping me. I'm doing it as info entertainment. And this is exactly what Donald Trump has been all about for the last 50 years of his life. Blowing other people's money, being a lousy administrator and, and a not particularly successful business person, and getting his way. Uh, largely by dint of uh, perpetual litigation and never ever having been nailed in a criminal suit. Now, we watch what's happening in Ukraine with tremendous frustration. How can they do this? How can they be allowed to do this? How can Russia and Putin just go in there and attack? And, and if you want to go to one uh, ex extreme in the spectrum, you have people saying, well, Putin, uh, Putin had a right to... I, you hear this in America. You hear your Tucker Carlson's. You hear your, your Sean Hannity's basically coming out there and your, and your One American News and basically, you know, well... Putin is basically doing what he has a right to do, and it should have been, and, and, and Owen oh, and, and, and Zelensky is basically prolonging this thing because he's actually trying to take back Crimea. You hear this now, people are coming up with this crap, and that essentially the victim is being blamed for the assault of the assaulter. In this case, it's an old it's an old scenario. This this gets played out all the time and usually by people who have something to gain or or think they have something to gain or or basically have been misinformed or have some kind of anger or fear or something that they're playing out via their adoption and restatement of what really wind up being variations on conspiracy theories and not a hell of a lot more. Well, the same frustration that, that Americans have about not being able to deal with Putin more directly, we can't put in a no-fly zone, we understand the rationale for that. We realize how far we can go before we can basically step in. We keep telegraphing this to the world. Hopefully we're putting in a hell of a lot more arms than we're talking about. We were talking too much about that lately. They need all the anti-tank weapons, they need the javelins, they need every kind of gun and whatever the hell we can get in there. Maybe we'll get some uh, aircraft to these people, some old MiGs that, uh, that, the Ukrainian, uh, uh, that the Ukrainian military could make use of. I don't know how this is going to work out. But everybody is saying that any promise on the part of Putin that he's going to withdraw or do something in this, these peace talks, this is standard Russian crap. Uh, and it goes, it, it's the standard lie. It's the same crap he did in Syria and everything else. You talk about peace negotiations while you continue to do some pretty awful things. And it, it's... Uh, it, it's a it's a, a rather barbaric approach to uh, to uh, dealing with a what was supposedly a political goal. You basically 
wreck the country that you're supposedly embracing as fellow members of the uh, Russian Federation, people who belong with us, so we'll destroy you uh, because we love you. Some insanity like that. But it's happening before our eyes. Well, so is the whole Trump situation. We've passed the 500-day mark since the original January 1st, um, is, is it about 500 days now? I'm, I'm just 365, 400, you were somewhere, we're somewhere around 500 days since the original January 6th insurrection. And it was a insurrection that was fomented and carried out and directed by the president, then president of the United States, on camera, in public, as part of a rally, he told people what to do. And they did it. And there's yet to be a single indictment brought down against this guy. Um, that's, that's frustrating. And there's been a lot of talk of late of, you know, what the hell is Merritt Garland doing? What is, what is the, uh, the U.S., uh, what is the Justice Department up to? How could they possibly not continue a lawsuit? How could they not begin a lawsuit? You know, 500 days, you're going to need people in, to testify. You're going you're to move this to a federal court in, in the States. You probably use the D.C. court for the actual trial. That's typical in these things. It happened in D.C. Okay, and you're, you're going to have witnesses. And after 500 days, and God knows when the actual trial would actually get going, you know, you know, memories fade, and, and there's some validity to saying to a witness getting on a stand 500, you know, 200, two, two years later and saying, well, I really don't remember exactly what I said that day. Hopefully, the Garland uh, uh, Department has the documentation and everything else to refresh witnesses' memories in a way that they never imagined they'd be refreshed. There seems to be all this information being gathered by the January 6th commission, uh, who seems to be charged with basically accumulating the data that would allow uh, justice to make a decision about prosecuting. But 500 days out is a hell of a long and an unusually long time to go without bringing an action for something that was so blatantly criminal in its performance. Now, you know, you, you get to a point where, you know, watching, when you watch Vladimir come across the Ukrainian border and he does it in broad daylight and they do it with the cameras rolling, you know, you start scratching your head and saying, wait a minute, may, maybe it's not criminal. Maybe it's Okay, when you watch Donald standing there, you know, uh, in, in front of the ellipsis and, 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 and screaming about, we got to go over and we got to take this back and we can't allow this. I've been, it's, the election's been stolen. We, we've, let's take it back. Let's go down there. I mean, come on. You, you know, and then you say, well, wait a minute. Maybe because it's done on TV and it's done with bravura and it's part entertainment, Maybe it's not really criminal, and maybe there just is an automatic barrier 
between the very rich and powerful and any responsibility for their actions. Their actions are different than anyone else's. When they do something bad and do it publicly and on camera for the whole world to see, maybe there's an automatic plenary indulgence. There's a, there's a full dispensation that comes with it. And, and maybe we really don't want to get into prosecuting it because... Well, there's a lot of it's a lot of very uncomfortable things that might go along with that. K keep in mind, you know, prior, uh, well, while this whole thing has been going on with uh, Merrick Garland and the Justice Department trying, or we don't know really exactly what's going on. He's been very low key about this. Hasn't been making much in the way of announcements of what his thought process or his procedural activities are. That's not unusual for the Justice Department, but one would expect something after 500 days. But during this period, even prior to January 6th of 21, the New York State Attorney, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, had an ongoing investigation, a very, very vigorous investigation, which was headed up by one of the top people, one of the, one of the top investigators of financial fraud out there, Mark Pomerantz. Really, really well, uh, well reg highly regarded uh, prosecutor who gets involved in these forensic type, uh, financial forensic type uh, criminal cases. And it was understood that the thing that they had going was their investigation of the misvaluation of Trump property, the conscious, obvious misvaluation of Trump properties. He, indictments were brought against uh, 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 Wasselberg, the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the accountant or whatever he was for, for the Trump organization, something like 14, 15 counts against him. And Cy Vance, as the as uh, the New York election is coming up, uh, the mayoral election basically being an off-year thing in New York, uh, the district attorney has to be re-elected uh, re as well. Vance decides he's not going to run, that he's old enough he's going to let this thing go. But the investigation is still wide open. And ultimately, we get Alvin Bragg in there, the guy who's gotten himself completely tied up... Um, with really lousy publicity uh, over his apparent suggestion or his apparent listing of those crimes that he didn't feel were worth worthy of pursuing, uh, worthy of investigating, worthy of taking to court. And they seem to track with the quality of life things that were pretty much the stuff that was at the top of the agenda of both the, uh, the Giuliani administration, I mean, Giuliani, okay, he's a freak now, but, but, but back in the day when he was there and when Mike Bloomberg was mayor of New York City, this quality of life focus is what really began to make a difference in New York. And, 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 and Alvin Bragg basically says, maybe he's been trying to walk it back ever since, and now he's, he's not saying anything. He's figured he's whatever, his, his reputation, I think, is as sullied as it needs to be at this stage. After telling us what he wasn't going to prosecute in favor of what he was going to prosecute and gun violence and all other kinds of crime still going off the charts, not only in New York and many other cities, 
we, he then goes ahead and lets the word get out that he's dropping the criminal investigation into Donald Trump. And we know this especially because suddenly Mark Pomerantz and one or two other top, top people in the, in the, in the investigation resign. And they don't say much. I mean, they don't go out there and say, we think, we think Alvin Bragg's a jerk. But what they do say is we are absolutely positive Words to that effect, I don't have the exact statement in front of me, that Donald Trump committed crimes. We've got it. Now, why would, and, and Alvin Bragg, by the way, ran on a platform that said he would continue, he was specifically asked as he was running, are you going to continue this investigation? He said he would. And suddenly he stops. World order. The liberal world order, the, the order of New York, the order of America, the ethics and morals and laws, call it our order, that basically suggests when a crime has been committed, a known crime, you pursue it. And here, the new DA, with every possible uh, motivation, every possible, and all the information up to that point that's been brought in under Cy Vance simply declares, I ain't going to do it no more, without any real explanation to this moment. And, and, and the assumption being, uh, I've got some, a lot of people, I, I would make the same assumption here, I've got so much heat on me right now about what I did or didn't do uh, or what I'm planning to do or not planning to do relative to prosecution of, let's call it, normal crime in New York City. I can't afford to lose the case against Trump. And the assumption is, a lot of people are saying, because it doesn't make a lot of sense any other way, Alvin Bragg simply got cold feet. He got scared. He got scared that he was going to basically find himself with a case and he kind of looked at Trump and he didn't want to be the first one to go after Donald. It would have been the first criminal case ever brought directly against Donald Trump. And Bragg took himself out of the list of contenders for that honor. I can't do this. And what's the result? A lot of downhearted feelings, a lot of, a lot of feeling bad. I know I feel bad about this. I feel, I feel awful that a case that had gone that far, that had a Mark Pomerantz, I mean, just a, an absolute genius at this with a track record that's, that's rather amazing, and Alan Bragg decides, I can't do this. That's the only thing that could be. It, it's not because he doesn't have a case. It's not because he doesn't have the information. It's not because he can't, he can't get access to the defendant. It's not because there's some legal barrier to him initiating a criminal prosecution against Donald Trump. No, I can't. So it comes down to, I can't do this. I more than that, I won't do this. Why ever Alvin Bragg has this in his head? I won't do this.
And Donald Trump continues to then yell and scream and jump up and down. You see, it was a witch hunt. And he begins to believe more in his own invincibility. His people have, his, his, his followers, his sycophants, basically get to say, you see, you see, you see, it was nothing but a witch hunt. They were just trying to go after him. Libs are a bunch of pussies. They're basically, it, we're, we're, we could just knock them down. There's nothing to them. They've got no, sub on and on and on and on. Well, that's the end of it, no? Well, no, of course not. There's still, of course, what's going on with Cy Vance. Well, more than Cy Vance, there's the issue, uh, not Cy Vance, um, there's uh, you know, the Merrick Garland situation, which we don't know anything about. What we do know about is two other things going on. Letitia James with the civil investigation, and we know about uh, Fannie Willis down in Georgia, with the criminal investigation there. Now, now again, with criminal investigations, this has been, it's been a bloody year. It's been 500 days. And Trump's crime in Georgia was to basically attempt to influence the results of an election. How do we know this? Because, because the phone call to Brad Raffensperger uh, was recorded I, I don't know if Trump was aware of this at the time, but it was recorded. And during this phone call, Trump very specifically says, I need, you got to get me 11,780 votes. You got to find them, which is one more than we have. No question whatsoever of what he's asking. Not, not, not in the vaguest sense could you imagine. Well, he was, he was really just looking for a, he was looking for an audit. He, he really did. No, you've got to find me 11,780, which is one more than we have. Now, you got to find this. Any prosecutor on the planet seeking to make a case out of this, to show intent, to show basically means, to show operation, anything. It's all there. Why is it 500 days without this bringing, uh, without bringing in an indictment here? Why, why? What are we waiting for in Georgia? What the hell's going on? Letitia James in New York is doing this civil investigation, but has yet to drop the hammer on Trump for the tax evasion, the New York version of the tax evasion that's there. Now, there, there, there's, also, there's also an ongoing audit of Donald Trump that has been going on with the IRS for quite a while. But remember, I, people forget this stuff. Remember uh, an organization called Mazers? A, uh, a, a major uh, 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 auditing firm, and a major accounting firm. And they quit. They quit Trump. And they said in the process of quitting, we can no longer attest to the validity of the last 10 years of Mr. Trump's uh, returns, of his financial records, of the Trump organization. Okay, where is the action that should follow from that? 
Why is Donald Trump still going on uh, whatever news show he wants to go on the far, 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 far right, making all sorts of acts and asking uh, Vladimir Putin if he can produce more information on Hunter Biden? Why the hell is that going on? Why isn't there another indictment? My only conclusion here is that everybody is waiting for Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is the other shoe. The Justice Department, the group that's looking at arguably the most heinous crime of all, the insurrection, fomenting, aiding and abetting, uh, collaborating, uh, instigating a insurrection against the United States of America while you are a sitting president. That's about as disgusting a crime as you can possibly imagine. But it's 500 days. W what does this say about the liberal order, if you will, small l, of America. What, what could be taking us this long? What, what are the explanations we're being given for why nothing has happened thus far? Oh, it takes a while. Uh, we need the January 6th commission to pull together as much information. Well, the January 6th commission They've been going forever. They've, they've, they've gone through something like 750 witnesses, I believe. There are thousands and thousands of pages of documents. Is, is the Justice Department waiting for their report and then may at some point go ahead and, and begin to do something? Is it waiting for the least painful political moment for what might be perceived as a moment of potential neutrality to begin this so they won't be perceived as... Is, is Merrick Garland really just the Washington version of Alvin Bragg? Is, is Merrick Garland... Has, has Merrick Garland lost his nerve, and therefore lost his ability, lost his, his motivation to do the obvious. And, and why can't we all just call it the obvious? We watched an insurrection unfold before our eyes. We watched the guy who created it. Anyone else but him and many people who were part of it at the low end have already found their way into jails via federal lawsuits brought against them. Donald Trump and the people closest to him, nothing. 500 days out. If nothing is done, if this really is, is a prelude to doing nothing, if we basically say that the real liberal order of America was, is, and has always been absolutely a law for the rich and a law for the rest of us, if we've only been saying 
everybody is equal under the law, under the law. If we basically want to finally put a fine point on the reality that it's an a lie, that's a total complete lie, that there is a total distinction between the law and the responsibility and the accountability of the rich and the accountability of the rest of us. If that's what we're attempting to do, we're doing a hell of a good job of it. But if there is no liberal order, then where do we stand? If there is ultimately no accountability for Donald Trump, then his followers, his sycophants, will see him as above and beyond all things. He sees himself that way, and I would predict that when he runs, he would stand a very good chance of winning, simply because the liberals, not the liberal order, but the liberals per se, would be perceived as so feckless, as so incapable of doing anything, as, as so, as so uh, meaningless in, 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 in all of the words and all of the statements, it will, simply, it will simply underscore what Trump has been saying forever. It's a witch hunt and take the entire judicial system we have and throw it away. If, if, if Clarence Thomas stays on the cases that may ultimately come from this at the higher levels, if he, with his wife basically being part and parcel of this process, decides not to recruit himself, if if if, if Justice Roberts doesn't step in and do something, I don't know exactly what the, what the Chief Justice could do in this situation. Could he force a recusal? I don't know. My understanding, I believe, is that any recusal has to be at the behest of the justice themselves, even on the Supreme Court. But if, if, if Clarence Thomas were to sit on these cases when his wife is part and parcel of this, and, the and we keep talking about the perception of justice and the perception perception of even-handedness. Come on, people. We don't have a system at that point. Merrick Garland is basically getting to the point where he's, he's basically Alvin bragged himself at this point. But, but his, the analogy to what he is and what he, the position he finds himself in is more akin, I would suggest to the warrior whose name was Arjun, A-R-J-U-N. He, he may have been a mythical warrior, and his story was uh, first created, fabricated, if you will, starting about 5,000 years ago in India. Actually, it was I think it was I think is it in UP in Uttar Pradesh, the town where a battle, a great battle, was supposed to take. The story goes like this, essentially, and this and this story is repeated in one of the most famous Indian. It's a poem, really, if you will. Within within the uh, the Mahabharata, is a embedded in there is a poem called the Bhagavad Gita. The, the, the song of God, literally, uh, translated from the Sanskrit. I don't speak Sanskrit. I happen to know that's what that means. And this warrior, Arjun, 
is uh, we, we encounter him on the night before a main battle, a big battle, where he has to fight. He is being put in a position to fight his own relatives over some really horrible crap that they've done. And under law, under ethics, under morals, these people should be punished and he needs to fight them. Otherwise, they will, the, the result will be a, a terrible result. He has a charioteer. Unbeknownst to Arjun, his charioteer is actually a manifestation of the Godhead. He's one of the manifestations of God in the form of Krishna, one of the higher manifestations. Just to correct something that a lot of people don't understand, Indians don't worship a billion different gods. They worship one Godhead in various manifestations, whatever manifestation you like, known that we, we use the term avatars, uh, just like the name of the just like the name of the movie, but this has a slight this has a slightly different meaning. I, I understand why why uh, Cameron uh, you know named his movie Avatar. Uh, Krishna explains to Arjun the necessity of action even under the most difficult of situations because it is the karmic responsibility. Karma comes into play here. It's not just a political, practical treatise, and it sure as hell is not, as some people suggest, a statement of the validity of that might will make right, and you must always wage war, even when it's a horrible situation that's put in. Basically, the storyline that was conceived by these rishis, the, the wise people who came up with this as an oral tradition, 5,000 years ago. I think it was finally written down somewhere around 4,000 years ago. They took the most ridiculously difficult situation. A guy being forced to fight his own family, people that he loves, but, but it's got to be done because it's, in the end, it's right. And yes, I, 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 I want to run to the hills. I want to be, become a monk. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I hate the notion of finding myself in this position. How do I deal with this? And Krishna lets Arjun know, gradually, slowly, with examples, any number of ways, that there is a necessity of action that befalls all of us upon recognizing that necessity, we must remove ourselves from the results of that action and from the emotional aspects of it. Does that mean you have to go into battle basically on drugs? Well, no, and, and, and this is why it's so important to understand that, that, they, that the Rishis chose one of the most difficult possible situations to make the point. They made this an impossible situation. This wasn't only designed to talk about what happens when you go into battle, how you have to gird yourself. No, it's life. It's understanding that you have to approach what is necessary and do what is necessary because everything is connected. You cannot back out of something that is your moral and ethical responsibility. And by God, Merrick Garland has one of those right now. You can't back away from that. 
without throwing the entire cosmic and karmic order into some degree of chaos and resetting the board. Maybe that board was going to be reset that way one way or the other, but it gets uglier. You pass, you pass responsibility on to someone else, and invariably, that which you pass on is more enriched and uglier and more difficult by the time the next person has to deal with it. In the case of a Donald Trump, I can, I can understand Garland's uh, thought process. If I prosecute this guy, well, the first thing that's going to happen is going to be all kinds of yelling and screaming, people jumping up and down. The, crate, the far right's going to go completely nuts. There's going to be attacks on this one and that one and that one and, that one and everything else. There's going to be, God knows what this is going to do to the economy. Oh, my God, this could start get people going into arm camp. If we set this precedent and if I convict him, which I damn well will because I've got it all dead to rights, then is there going, is the next time a Republican in office, are they going to go ahead and they Therefore, are they going to come after Joe Biden the next time around and start this thing in a tit for tat? And then does the entire American system just automatically, fully, completely collapse because it's nothing but a bunch of people fighting back and forth and looking to seek vengeance on the other side? And whatever might have passed for a judicial system and a structural system based on our constitutional values is lost gone finished do i want to get uh, do i want to be the starting lineup do i want to be the guy that throws out the opening pitch on that i can understand merrick garland pulling an alvin bragg in this situation but i can't accept it and he has to understand that by trying to pass this along by giving himself reasons not to do what he must do because it's right, because it's ethical, because it's legally appropriate, because it's the moral thing to do, because it comports with our founding documents, because it comports with what we believe in ourselves and about ourselves and justice and equal justice for all in America, because it's the single most example, a powerful example of that, that most of us will ever see in our entire lives, because it's going to be the most difficult that a president of the United States, because he was a dreadfully flawed individual, must face justice, criminal justice. Now, he can avoid it, but the consequences, I think, will be even worse if he attempts to avoid it. And I don't know what the consequences are. He can't, if, if we follow the teachings of the, of, of the Bhagavad Gita, we are not we cannot ask the consequences. That's, that's a politically reasonable thing to do. But we talk about American moral and ethical and, 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 and these high-level ideas that we're supposed to be. And here, justice should be the ultimate statement of why this is done. If we can argue away justice because it may get, it may get tricky, it may get uncomfortable, if we can't trust America and Americans to basically recognize the, the, the value of doing the right thing, then we've already debased the American system beyond anything that any problem that might ensue from a Trump indictment and trial could possibly bring up. We've, we've, we've given it away in advance. We've basically negated 
anything that America could be. And we're getting damn close to that time. Granted, uh, Garland uh, will be in there for, for, uh, to the end of uh, the, the Biden. He's got three more years, you know, over nearly three years. Plenty of time to bring a, a case. Again, five, you know, justice delayed. And we, what will this do to the midterm elections if something is not done to Trump? Well, if we, if we go after Trump, uh, they'll, they'll have that to add to inflation and immigration as the two major things. Who the hell cares? If you cannot, if you cannot restate and, and reconfirm the moral and ethical footing of America, then what is the difference if you bring in a Trumpian-oriented bunch of idiots to, to mess up Joe Biden's presidency so that he, he can't do it? All, all he'll do is veto whatever they try to pass, and, and, and we go back to Trump all over again. What, what difference will that make? We'll just get uglier and worse because our moral center will have decayed that much more. Mr. Garland, I, I don't know if you've ever read the Bhagavad Gita. There are some great translations. That, uh, there is a translation by a guy named Eknat Isfaran uh, that I've typically read over the years, and I've read it a few times. And, and the best, one of the better parts of, the, of that translation is that there's about 60 pages before the actual poem itself, which can be a little thick, even in translation explaining the nature of karma, the nature of interconnectedness, the, the giving a foundation for what it is that, that, uh, that, that, that Krishna is explaining, what it means within the context of Hindu philosophy and theology, if you will. They're, they're totally intertwined, by the way. Unlike Christianity, which, no, there's a secular over there, and here's what God gets. No, in, in Hinduism, your life, your, your life, your family, your activity, it's all very, the, the boundaries are very, very fluid. Take my word on this. Mr. Garland, maybe read the Bhagavad Gita. Take, take some solace in the knowledge that you are doing what you need to do. I realize our culture does not recognize karma except as something that was sort of bandied about back in the 60s and 70s by kids who didn't understand what the hell they were talking about. But we should understand our karma, our national karma. We must act. There are things that must be done when the situation presents itself. Mr. Garland, this is one of those situations. And you may make a choice to avoid it, but you will put far worse situations into play if you do. Do what you are obligated to do. Follow that which is just and right. Do not base your action strictly on the consequences. That's how it'll be perceived. And it will debase you in history and debase America permanently. It'll have the practical political effect, the opposite of what you're hoping to avoid. Do the right thing, Merrick Garland. And for God's sake, do it soon. Little jazz. 
and then David Bach. This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. 
and we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial progressive programming, and we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000—whatever you can contribute to make Center Left Radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant, as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident, and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You're listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz, and you're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Go there, pick up either of the first two links that you see on the homepage. First link gives you our podcast feed. The second gives you our radio loop. You're listening to one or the other right now. Well, no, there's a third option. You might be picking us up as a podcast somewhere else, from wherever else you pick up your podcast. If that's the case, you found us at Center Left Radio. And you've also found what happens here on Fridays. This is my opportunity to say, to say words that both ground me in what time of the week it is and also give me a lot of hope and faith in the type of information I'm about to get because it's worth it. It's worth it to keep listening. That's why I say just about this time every week, David, what's on your mind? Well, uh, there's a lot. But if you want to hear, you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash freshfacesnewideas. Or you can find me on Twitter at Faces Ideas. Um, look, there's there's a lot of craziness going on. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's and it's a lot of like just even, even ignoring the January sixth stuff, which is a lot. We have the Clarence Thomas thing. We have uh, the fact that there's seven hours missing in call logs, even though we know Donald Trump made calls during that time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fact that Jared Kushner just uh, testified yesterday, like there's a lot going on that the just outright homophobia that's coming out of the right, just like within the last couple of days is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's the immediate st- Oh, there's, there's actually some good news though. Um, so Florida wrote one of those voter suppression votes yeah, and uh, yeah, a yeah. judge ruled on this. It was so bad. The judge put Florida back on the pre, uh, put uh, Florida on the preclearance for any future voting laws. 
I didn't. I didn't run across. I heard that there was a. I heard that there was a decision coming down. I didn't follow up on that. They literally are back on the. This. This is the way it was under the original 1965 Civil Rights Act. Now, was it a Fed? No, it was a state judge. I assume in Florida. Yes. Okay. So, so he he gave he put them on the equivalent of what would have been the 1965 Section 2, if I'm not mistaken, that if they were going to make a change in any voting laws, it had to go before the federal government. In this case, it has to come before the court. Is that the deal? No, the, uh, the Justice Department is pre-cleared. Oh, so, the just, so he actually did reference it back to the Justice Department. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, his argument, his argument, well, he had two really good arguments. One was the... Um, The um, the first one was, hey, you know that Martin Luther King quote that they always use about colorblindness? He yeah. actually had another quote about it, and it it's basically saying the opposite. But if you only listen to like three lines of Martin Luther King, you have a very different view of him. That's all the Republicans quote. It's amazing um, what you could do with bad editing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing he said is like, look, for twenty years we've been doing this. Is like if every year. They pass one of these laws, and then it takes a while to get to the courts. By the time the courts hear it, the law's already in effect, so it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, you've already you've already basically removed the right to vote to a num from a number of people who the law was in, was in, was designed to uh, impact. Yeah, right. So the fact that he did this is in, is pretty incredible. And I hope um, it sets it's a also precedent. Very, very I hope it sets a precedent. It's got to set a precedent around the country. This is craziness. What's what's been going on lately? And then we have the, the don't say gay bill. Let's be, let's be clear about this. This bill is designed to stop people from talking about homosexuality and trans kids. Like the people who first off, we have to understand that the, the defense they're using of this bill is nonsense. Of course. yeah. There, there's two of them. There's one, which is that, oh, it stops you from talking about sexuality, which it doesn't. It explicitly doesn't. That was actually an amendment put into the bill or attempted to put into the bill that was rejected. So it does not stop you from talking about sexuality. Two, this is designed to sp target specific homosexual and trans relationships because right. that's what they keep referring to. They're like, oh, we don't want to teach them about gay gay uh relationships like well i have a question and at some point i imagine this bill is going to be active it's not going to be in the courts forever what happens the first time a teacher has a picture of a uh of their wife or their husband like when they're not uh they're they're a hetero relationship or they they show an example of a heterosexual relationship can i sue for that yeah good 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 point well that's, and i hope somebody does that's, not in the that's sense normal, that i hope that teacher <laughs> You know, uh... But to make that point, like that needs to be done because the other thing they're doing is they flip their transphobia like completely. Um, it's it, that was all tessels. They're right into every single person who's gay is a groomer. Now, yeah. yeah, this is incredible. This is like an age-old homophobic thing. But there's actually a pro-groomer bill in Tennessee. So there's this bill. It's called HB 233. HB 233 redefines what marriage is. It basically gives a special carve-out for uh, men and women or to be married. And it says that the state has to defend anybody who 
who basically discriminates against somebody for uh, for marriage based on religious reasons. Um, and that's what it says. And like, this is after it's been ruled in uh, like Kentucky that you cannot do this because Oglesfeld is a constitutional right to have your gay marriage. So if you if you discriminate against them based on that. It's unconstitutional. So yeah. on its face, this bill is unconstitutional. Yeah, but 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 you but you know you know the routine here, David. And you've reported on these things so many times. What what basically this is these these state laws, the the the, the people who put them out and push them through know damned well that a challenge in the courts will ultimately result in uh, negating or or certainly blunting the vast majority of what this, the bill is supposed to do, but it's done just for the sensationalistic red meat effect that it's going to have on the base. And, and, and the very thought that they would still go ahead and do this, put through laws that they know are not going to be functional that's that's the that's the more scary part of all. Be, beyond just how ridiculous the laws are, it's knowing that wait, wait. you're doing something empty. There's more to this, Bill. Go ahead. Before I do that, I want to make a very clear point. So the Utah bill that passed, the transgender bill. Yeah. I believe that every person who wrote this bill or voted for it should go to jail because this is a state-sponsored bullying bill of at most four children, specifically one. There is one transgender kid in Utah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talked about this last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's what I believe for that bill. This goes double for this Tennessee bill because one of the things this Tennessee bill does is it removes the age restriction for marriage. For for whose... Removes the age restriction for marriage generally? In other words, a 12-year-old kid? I mean, what are we talking about here? So in Tennessee, prior to – after 2018, they basically passed a law that you have to be at least 17 to marry or you can't – or if you're 18, you can't be – the person can't be within uh, four years younger than you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like a a judge can waive it because of a guardianship or a parent. They've removed that in this bill. Why? What's the – what's – what is the – what's – the literal only explanation, like they brought it up, they they brought it up and they put amendments. There is zero explanation for that except you want child marriages. That's why? the only explanation for yeah, why. Yeah, I know, but I, but do you do you do you have any sense of why? What, what? How is that in the public interest? How is it even in the political interest of the of the of the far right to to, to do that? Now you're taking it's away not. the possibility of statutory rape. You're you're removing. You're you're basically that to me is sort of like uh, there's a little bit of a pedophilia pat, pat on the shoulder. Hey hey pedophiles, uh, take heart, you know, or something. I don't know. I mean, what, what is this about? It's weird. That, that's it. No, it's it's literally a pedophilia though. There's no explanation for it other than that. You cannot have an explanation for it other. Than that. Did this pass? I don't already? even know what. What has this bill passed? This this is this passed in the existing bill in the exist is this law at this point? I don't believe it's law. I think okay. it's being brought up for a yeah. Point. But yeah. they've talked about it. like if you Google this, that's like there's like two things that they talk about the yeah. the fact that it uh, it recreates marriage and the other one is that it removes the age consent. Like it is like if you want to talk about grooming, this is a this is like one of the most pro grooming pro pedophilia bills. Like that's the craziest thing about all this QAnon shit. Like the people who are stopping, like marriages from being uh, between men and children, yeah, is the Republicans. Uh, like 
Yeah, I, I mean, what, 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 I don't. There's, I'm, 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 I'm trying to convince myself I'm missing something here, because from what you've described, that the only conclusion I can, what possible rationale would there be for removing any all, all age restrictions on marriage? I'm. Jeez, uh, I mean. There is. No. Like, okay, I, 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 I gotta to look into to, this some more. This is this is this is sick. This is I mean, sick. It's seven pages of the bill. The whole bill is seven pages. Okay, the, well, yeah. The, okay. Um, normally, so normally, normally, uh, no, forgive me. Normally on bills, I know the way we do it in New York. There's something called the legislative. There's a leg, There's a statement of legislative history that usually comes with the bill that explains the legislative rationale for this or why we're changing the law. Normally, that's in there. I take it in what you saw. Either that doesn't exist, or it certainly wasn't included in the seven-page bill. It's nothing that I can seem to find that's rationalized. Okay. That. All right. Okay. I, I got to look into this thing, a bit more. Yeah. The other thing is now, apparently Disney is bad. I mean, let's be clear. Disney is bad. Like, they're, they treat their workers like shit. Um, they, you know, this, there's just a whole bunch of issues with Disney. The right, the Republicans are mad at it because Disney did a thing where they said, "Hey, the don't say gay bill, yeah. like we want to get rid of it." Well, so, yeah, D D Disney was one of the first organizations to permit openly gay and 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 non non heterosexual relationships and to recognize them for purposes of coverage and insurance and everything else. Disney did do that. Well, as you see, that's because Disney is woke and it's trying to propagandize your children. Oh, I see, um, I see, so, I see, I see, I see. So there's two things that happen. Yeah. One is the Daily Wire went crazy about this because they're, you have to remember the person who runs the Daily Wire is Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro uh, <laughs> is yeah. motivated by the fact that he failed to be a Hollywood producer yeah. and therefore wants to make be one. That is, that is a very motivating factor of the things that he does. Okay. Two, the other people who got mad was Tucker Carlson. So Tucker Carlson made a, uh, had his little monologue about Disney. And there's a couple of things that he said that are correct. So Disney has done like a lot of bad things. He was talking about how they're like acquiescing to China, um, some of the, some of the other stuff, but he was pretending that this is the first time a corporation has ever expressed disapproval with a bill and attempted to kill it. Oh, uh, 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 no, that's, Which is, that's not true at all. That, that's, it's what we do in America. He then goes further and talks about how Disney wants your kindergartners to be chemically castrated. What? And if we allow that, what wouldn't we allow? Now, let's be clear. There is no person, when you talk about chemical castration, they're talking about transition. Uh, transition yeah. And, or, or like hormone blockers, which, yes, have some negative side effects, but they're very small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you don't just randomly wake up one day and get them. That's not how this works. No, no, of course not. But why would what, what, a how could Disney do it and b why would they want to do this to any I mean, well someone's listening. Carlson is you know we know what Carlson how Carlson talks but go on what sense did you make of this? Well, it's because they they're always they're they're pushing this gay people are all uh, groomers thing. So oh, like, I see. Oh, they're I just see. coming I after see. your children. I see. And then I here's see. here's the really crazy. So do you know who Christopher Rufo is? I'm pretty sure I've talked about. Him. I think you've spoken about him before. Yeah. Christopher Rufo works for the Manhattan Institute. He is almost solely responsible for the CRT panic. 
He essentially made it up like a year ago. Um, and he's been blatant that he, he made it up. He got a leaked video of Disney employees, like high-level employees, talking about their future. Now, there's two things to this. One, one of the videos that they're pointing out as, uh, they're using this phrase, not-so-secret gay agenda, because that's a direct quote from one of the uh, the, the people. They, they said, yeah, we're putting gay and trans people in our shows and nobody's stopping us. And apparently this is a big deal for a not-so-secret gay agenda. I want to be clear about this. Their agenda is to show the existence of gay people and to put them in. Uh, okay. That's the yeah. not-so-secret gay agenda. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Similar to secret biolabs, if you make it sound scary, it sounds scary. Yeah, sure, of course, of course, yeah. The that, video the he idea. put, he's like, oh, they're coming for your children. The 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 person they put was, um, I swear to God, I, I think he was some type of editor for their animation. And he was like, look, we want more LGBT gay trans uh, stories. So when we look at the stories we've written, we're seeing that they're all background characters. So we want to like put them into more prominent roles because you can't just like show a trans person by drawing it out. You have to go into their story. Yeah, okay. That's basically what the whole thing was. Like, hey, these people exist, so we're going to show them. Yeah, okay. The, the response to this is now the Daily Wire is going to put $100 million into their own Daily Wire kids. Now, there's a couple things. It's one, $100 million into a like, a like a kid's movie studio type thing isn't anything. And Conto apparently cost $150 million just by itself. So yeah, okay. we're not talking about, like, other things, like Super. Two, PragerU does this already. And it is wild. It is insanely ridiculous. Three, why is it not indoctrination of children when they do that? Why is it not acceptable for uh, left-wing propaganda to exist for children, but right-wing propaganda is totally fine as long as it uh, is just a, a white Christian family? That's that question can and should have been asked for the last, oh, 50 years, and, and in particular in the last uh, 15 or 20. Yeah. And especially in the last five, yeah. Okay. And then my favorite. I was watching a Ben Shapiro video. So Ben Shapiro, the video is called Ben Shapiro uh, or leaked audio footage um, from Disney. He's talking about this. It is one of the most homophobic, directly dog whistling I think I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't even watch the whole video when I was covering. It was, I watched like, it's like 12 minutes. I think I caught it the first three. The entire time he's sitting there going, oh, if they're going to force this this uh this unbelievable nonsense this this uh this divisive language on kids uh i have to pre-screen everything because apparently so i haven't seen like a, a updated disney movie since like toy story 4 yeah okay one of the movies he quotes is onward now i vaguely remember onward having uh, a character and that's because it does so a lot of times when disney does some of these uh, lgbt uh, characters, yeah, they put them as background characters on purpose, so that when they they are selling their movies into areas uh, that are more homophobic, more um, anti-gay, yeah, they can remove those characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my understanding for this movie is the the big evil uh, push of left wing ideology is that one of the side characters mentions that they have a girlfriend. Ah. Okay. <laughs> and apparently that's unacceptable. Like the 
the the ins, the the outright homophobia that is coming from this is just insane. It yeah. is. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I've, I've seen my share of Disney movies and, and cartoons and everything, and I have noted every so often I'm aware of some reference, some LBGTQ type reference in there, but it passes and it's never dwelled on, and it's not the central issue, and it's just not some. I, I guess this is me. I never found any of this stuff even controversial. It's simply there. And I think the point of the way Disney has dealt with it up to this point is that they simply want to normalize this stuff. Now, if you want to bring it up and, 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 and raise it to a, to, a, to a higher consciousness level, that's their corporate decision. But I've never felt up to this point that there's really a, uh, a, 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 a ham-fisted approach to trying to force the issue or to, to hyper-hype characters who may be LGBTQ. That's, that's me. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, you see, the reason you and I don't see this stuff and care about it is we don't think the existence of gay people is like a sin. Yeah, or, I think. Yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, if if I'm looking for if I'm looking for it under every rock, and I'm waiting for a chance to invoke the name of the devil and to call down God Almighty on them. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I cannot describe to you how benign this Disney thing that they're leaking and pretending is is a big deal. Is. Yeah, it is yeah. incredibly benign. Oh, also on another uh, interesting note, there was a bill that passed the House last night. It's probably going to die in the Senate. But um, it's the uh, the insulin cap bill. Yes. So yes, because Build Back Better died because Joe Manchin's corrupt. Yeah, of course. Um, and all the Republicans hate America. Uh, that bill would have capped <laughs> insulin at either thirty five dollars a month or twenty five percent of uh, your network cost which is what it is, which is what, what it should be because it's, it's it's a necessity it's an absolute necessity of life for a whole hell of a lot of americans yeah right and even 35 dollars a month is like seven times higher than other countries sure um and it's three and a half times higher than canada uh 192 republicans voted against it it's crazy it's crazy 22 of them voted for it now their defense of this is, to be fair, their defense of it is not the deficit, which is what they used when they voted against the burn pit legislation. No, their defense is we don't want we don't want to piecemeal this solution. This is just going to do price control and it's socialism. Except when they had a bill that would have done a hell of a lot more Medicare to negotiate for. All exactly, exactly. That was also socials. Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. It, it's all it's it, it's it's bullshit. They're being bought. It tells you it tells you who's uh, who's uh, you know who you can't afford to offend. So if you can't afford to offend the farmers and and whoever in, is in the chain of of money making on insulin, and there's a lot of people making a lot of money, this tells you you can you can come up with you know. And this is you sit down with the pharma industry, you sit down with your funders, and you work out carefully with the languages and that language pretty much drops into the bill or at least drops into your objections to it when they're all written up and the Senate will probably uh, have that same information and will go accordingly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah. 
That's disgusting. But it's where we are. That's it, it's like we live in a we live in a fantasy world where apparently putting any pressure on the rich is just impossible. No other country can tax their wealthy. They're just it's it, it's too difficult. We have Mick Mulvaney being hired by CBS, which is just unbelievably wild. We have uh, and he's being brought on as a neutral arbiter to talk about the the bill that's not going to pass in the house, the <laughs> Biden's budget. There is there is zero percent. Mick Mulvaney. He, he he's really he's really on a rehabilitation tour, isn't he? Wow. <laughs> Damn. Oh. He's like uh. the idea that the so in Biden's budget proposal, I think it was like five point eight trillion. Yeah, it's a biggie. <laughs> One of the things he wants to do is to have a 20% tax on unrealized gains of people who have over $100 million in stock. Now, yeah. when I was covering this last night, I got into interesting debates with people. First off, the idea that we cannot tax these gains because we cannot recognize them is bullshit. Like, we know how who, we, can, we can figure out how to tell who has $100 million in of course, Of course you can. Of course. Of course. And also... They use these assets. It's not like they don't take out loans and then double dip with this with these assets. Yeah, they're 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 basically they are function they are functional within anyone's economic scheme. They're not segregated off and have absolutely no impact on the individual who has the unrealized, you know, or at least the un. It's, it's, it's a bad word, by the way, that it's an unrealized gain. It's there. It's there. You can leverage that money, and you do all the time. And. When we're talking about the tax, they're like, oh, the poor businessman. What if he leaves? First off, they're not leaving this country. Like the the, the idea that the that the the billionaires of the rich people in America are just going to pack up and leave is nonsensical. Where are they going? To, first off, where are they going to go? Oh, yeah. They're, there's only three superpowers. <clears throat> it's us, China and uh, Russia. They're not going to Russia. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think not these days. No, probably not. No, no, no. If they go to China, mm-hmm. China repatriates their billionaires. They sometimes just kidnap them and force them to pay like an extra couple billion dollars because they don't think they're being loyal enough to the country. You're gonna go <laughs> to China where they do that to you? I, I don't. No. I don't think they want to do that. No, 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 no. Um, we're, 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 yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. David. And then, if they're going to leave, okay, fine. We have a massive exit tax. We have a massive repatriation tax. And we have massive taxes on them for deciding to leave America or to do business in America. That's how you do that. Then here's the other thing. We're talking about 20% on $100 million. So if you only have $100 million in assets, you still have $80 million in untaxed assets. Yeah. Yeah. That's not nothing. And two, there's this other point. When they talk about this idea, first off, Let's, let's pretend that they they worked harder than Jeff Bezos worked a hundred million billion times harder than everybody else. Why can't he just work that money back? Second, he didn't do it on his own. Elon Musk certainly didn't do it on his own. Is is uh, Tesla and um, SpaceX almost entirely existence on corporate subsidies? Yeah, uh, of course. So we're mm. paying for those. The other thing is, what happens to a wealthy person when they're no longer wealthy? Do they die? <laughs> Good point. Like what happened to them? <clears throat> oh, they yeah. become a worker like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the reason they don't want to be that is because they know how they treat their own workers. 
Yep. Yeah, that's that 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 there's there's got to be that element in there. David um <laughs> Oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. Um it just it just gets what, what was it Alice in the looking it gets curiouser and curiouser. Uh there are so many things that are in the pipeline in the in the insanity pipeline right now. But like, like, uh, like everything else or like every week, uh, your rational views of these things and your explanation of what's going on with these things takes them out of the pure shouting, screaming level and, and gives some, it, it, it doesn't solve the issue, but it certainly locates it in a place where people can look at it and make sense out of it. And, and that's in the end, the beginning of everything <clears throat> that we have to do in basically trying to preserve what we have <clears throat> of a liberal democracy in this country, liberal with a small L. Otherwise, we'll, we'll let it go completely. We have to keep pointing these things out. Uh, you are a pro and a pro's pro at doing it. Uh, where, else do they where else do people hear you besides here on Center Left Radio to hear more of you and see more of you? They can hear me on twitch.tv slash freshfacesnewideas, and they can follow me on Twitter at FacesIdeas. And once again, I, I thank you for gracing, quite, and I don't say that in a, in, a, in a cuter, snarky way, for gracing these microphones, <clears throat> forgive me, my throat, uh, on a Friday, and um, for once again giving me the opportunity to sign off this segment with some of my favorite words, besides saying, David, what's on your mind? Second to that, certainly on a Friday, is a little more jazz.
listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. There has been a real, visceral discomfort, a, 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 a limited amount of action being taken by people who have the ability to prosecute Donald Trump on a criminal level. No one seems to be the first or want to be the first to do this, afraid of the consequences, but there should be greater fear of the consequences of non-action. Consider the story of the Bhagavad Gita. 